Hello, welcome to Dying to Talk. I'm Buddy Feneff, a fourth generation funeral director in New Hampshire and the owner of Feneff Funeral Homes and Crematorium and the founder of the Cremation Society of New Hampshire. My co-hosts today are Mandy Damaris and Madison Smith, both longtime funeral directors with our firm. Hello, I'm Mandy. Thanks for joining us on Dying to Talk. Hi, I'm Madison. We're excited to discuss some frequently asked questions about the funeral industry. Dying to Talk is a lighthearted and upbeat discussion of those topics no one really wants to talk about. Each episode, we will choose a subject that is related to funeral service, the cremation process, or death and dying. This one's a tough one. It's one we have to talk about. It's one that's important to talk about. Um, we're going to be talking about how children grieve, and as we'll try to keep it as, as upbeat and light as we possibly can because children grieve differently than adults. And our guest today is Chuck Johnson. Chuck is the Spiritual Bereavement Coordinator for the uh, VNA of Manchester and Southern New Hampshire. Um, I know Chuck has done a number of services here. Um, he's actually run a program for years that me and you and I both have been involved with called Stepping Stones mm-hmm. yep. um, that's worked with children who have lost sibling, lost a parent, lost a family member, lost a friend. Um, so Chuck's going to come in and spend some time and, and really enlighten us in terms of sort of the children bereavement and what's different, what's the same, maybe provide us some resources for anyone that's listening that may have had a a child experience grief, even grief of a pet. I mean, you know, children, um, you know, for, for them, pets can be just as, you know, as loss traumatic as, yep, loss is loss. Yep. <clears throat> Hi, Chuck. Good morning and welcome to Dying to Talk. Well, thank you for having me here, buddy. How did you get involved with, with working with children and grief and bereavement? Well, I've, it's just part of my position at the VNA and I've been doing that for uh, almost six years. And before that, I was working in uh, social work in a youth facility and training uh, staff uh, throughout the province in Canada where I was uh, for almost uh, uh, 19 years. And so we dealt with uh, grief and loss all the time. Um, So for quite a long time, and it's um, just part of what I've done throughout my life. Are you considered a licensed therapist or um, psychologist, or <clears throat> what? What is what kind of goes along with what you do? My training is all uh, primarily in pastoral counseling, uh, so not a therapist or a counselor per se, but uh, with both my work in social work and uh, in my pastoral education, it all focused on uh, pastoral counseling. Uh, Think of it as like uh, enabling f- families or clients to uh, solve problems based on some of the strengths that they already have and that they've already been demonstrating in dealing with other issues in their life. So it's mm-hmm. more like a supportive role that you play. Yes, and facilitative kind of. Mm-hmm. With with your experience, it sounds like you've worked with a wide range of children as far as their ages are concerned. Is there a group? Um, an age group that would be tougher to work with in your experience? That's a great question, and often people think that uh, that there may be or that this, perhaps their kid's the age group that's the most toughest. Um, <laughs> I think every parent thinks that yes. about all of their children. <laughs> um, but I find that kids grieve um, almost... 100% of the time, like 99% of the time, they grieve consistently with what you would expect for that developmental age, uh, almost always. They just do it naturally and what you would expect. Um, it's sometimes the parents that have the tougher time understanding 
uh, how or what they need uh, to do for their kids. Now, is it the same, the same process? I know there are steps for my umpteen psychology courses that I've taken in colleges, <laughs> college that I took as required courses, and of course in mortuary school, there are the various stages of, of, of grief, and I don't even remember the name of the lady who created the, Mandy Madison, you might remember the lady. Kubler-Ross. Thank yeah. you, thank you, okay. So there are those stages, and at one point I memorized them for the exams, but now, I, are those stages the same for, maybe let's, if you remember, if you can review the stages, and are they the same for kids, are they the same, do they, does the order change at all, or? Well, that's a great point regarding the stages of grief, uh, and yes, they're the same for the kids. Um, no, um, but no, just like with adults, they're not chronologically steps, like you don't go through denial first, and then depression, and then anger, and then bargaining, and then acceptance. Or move. You don't go chronologically through the steps. Everyone kind of works through them in different ways and in different orders, and then you may circle back to them. It's the same with kids, with the added um, twist that kids grieve according to those descriptors, um, but in light of where they're at in their own development. So younger kids will be more uh, expressive with their behaviors of anger, like mm -hmm. a two-year-old, three-year-old, five-year-old acting angry. Well, it's apparent. Right. Um, as opposed to a, a teenager, uh, they'll act angry, but you won't know what. You know, they'll just be being silent or something. Um, but uh, they all act out the different um, stages of grief according to their own abilities and developmental uh, aspects and uh, where they're at. So what, what type to, the, obviously you're in the Greater Manchester area, what, what programs are available either through the VNA, other nonprofits, other for-profits in terms of, um, you know, children that have experienced the loss of a family member or a best friend? A lot of people, we talk about this before the break, is a lot of people think, oh, it's a parent passes away or so, but it could be a friend. It could be, we even talked about pet loss um, where, you know, children are very attached to their pets. So where, where can people get assistance um, programs that might be available? Yeah. Um, there really is very few. Um, as far as I know, there's just uh, two in our area, and that's uh, the one that we put on uh, that's called Stepping Stones Through Grief. Right. And the other one is to the Merrimack uh, Home Health and Hospice, um, and there's called Good Grief, and that's a, a national program. Um, but And the two of us... Um, interact and communicate back and forth quite closely when they may have a program starting up we'll refer people to them and vice versa we may have a program that would be starting up and they'll know and so theirs isn't starting up at the same time and they'll uh, refer people to us and so we communicate quite closely regarding kids and their grief because there's there's so little uh, available for them as far as groups go uh, there's lots of private counselors right. um, but as far as groups uh, we're the only two in. So why do you think that? Why do you think that is? I mean, if, if not, just and this is really not re related to this, but sort of consequential is that you know, New Hampshire has a huge heroin epidemic, and the reality is a lot of the people that have passed away from heroin are younger people. Probably um, have you younger know, siblings. Number of siblings or or younger kids. I mean, mm -hmm. there's not a lot of 90 year old people 
you know, dying from heroin over, but there are a lot of people in their 20s and 30s and 40s that have kids and the kids, I mean, you would think that, and I know it's obviously, you know, the VNA already has a great program with Stepping Stone. What, what, do you, just resources or just not fully thinking there's a true need for this, which obviously there is? Um, lots of people process and work through their grief in different ways. And so for some, uh, to participate in a group um, isn't what they would naturally or think of doing. Um, for others, when we're talking about uh, older children and adolescents, um, they have a lot of systems in their life that are already there, like they're in schools, there's guidance counselors, and sometimes those, those services are, are what are necessary. Right. And then you add to that the busyness. Sometimes uh, kids like adults, they uh, keep busy instead of feeling and processing through their grief. They keep busy with other activities, and uh, kids, especially uh, adolescents, uh, <laughs> they're pretty busy to begin with, right. and so it's easy to cope by doing that and it kind of puts their grief on hold sometimes until later in life and that's where all the other hundreds of grief support groups come in all this, for adults, i have yeah. a yeah i have a, a friend of mine who owns funeral homes in uh in connecticut and with the sandy hook he was actually involved with the Sandy. you know mm -hmm. all of a sudden it seems like all the, the groups sort of come out of the woodwork when there's a major trauma tragedy. or a tragedy or something but you know the day-to-day Things where someone loses a parent, someone loses a sibling, someone loses, they're, the programs are hard to find. It's almost, it almost takes this national crisis event to say, oh, yeah, we need these types of things. We need to take care of the kids. Right. Yeah. And sometimes that's what happens. Well, my, my question is, we, we deal with, um, like Buddy said, people in their 20s, 30s, 40s that have young children that have passed away. Um, and it makes be a maturity level but at what age do you think children truly grasp the concept of death not grandma's sleeping but is truly gone to some extent again that's a, a great question and it's directly related to uh, again children's developmental stages um, and so kids don't grasp that concept of the permanency of death until probably pre-adolescence but before that, I would suggest that they still have a concept of death that is in keeping with their de developmental stage. Like, um, I, I'll use this in training with our new volunteers and stuff. Uh, for infants, you know, how does an infant grieve? Well, infants are aware of presence and non-presence. And what's a favorite game that you play with little kids, little babies? Peekaboo. Peekaboo. Yep. And that idea of just... If I can't see you, you're not there, and and vice versa, uh, demonstrates that they have a concept of when someone's present and when someone's not, and that's that's the immediacy of it. And sometimes I encourage families that just because a small child says they want to see their their deceased loved one, um, they want to see mommy or they want to see dad or grandma or grandpa or somebody, um, that's not them trying to you know, remind people that they're missing because sometimes other family members find it hard to be reminded and they have to tell them, no, they're not here. They've And they have to keep retelling this story and it's tougher for the older people. Um, but for the little kids, they just are aware that they're not there. They can't see them, but they don't understand the permanency of that. And that's that's normal. Um, but the, the pre-adolescence and on, they... they 
are more able to grasp that abstract concept of death and what that means and what happens after death, whether it's heaven or whatever their belief systems are. That leads me to another question that maybe doesn't even actually have an answer, but um, do you find it difficult to explain things like death and afterlife to children in various age groups or children coming from various religious belief backgrounds? It's, I think the most important thing is to recognize what those belief backgrounds, those family systems, uh, whether it's a structured religious belief system, whether it's a cultural belief system, or whether it's just a family tradition kind of thing. Uh, it's important to find out what those are before you start answering because that can cause even more confusion. Uh, but once you understand the system that the, the children are operating from, mm-hmm then you can discuss that in keeping so that the parents can continue to uh, help and foster and encourage the children according to that which they've already already been saying. Um, and once you understand that, uh, it's not so difficult and it's important to not project our own beliefs on someone else's. Mm-hmm. I have I have a I don't know as much of a question as as a sort of a observation and this is I have no scientific basis for this <laughs> at all but I'm just going back I remember back as a kid we we grew up our family funeral business has been around for a hundred years or so and you know we grew up as the French Canadian funeral home back years and back in those days huge funerals multi day wakes kids you know by the time you're ten years old you'd already been to twenty funerals. And, you know, you've seen dead people, and you've seen grandma, and you've seen, you know, all the different various family members. You've attended wakes. You've attended services. Um, there was no cremation back in those days. So fast forward now to 2016, um, cremation's high. And, you know, not, not only have a lot of children never seen a deceased person or gone to a public viewing, a lot of their parents haven't either. And like, oh no, you don't want to go in there. There's, there's, a, there's a dead person in there. It's so, so right. I, it seems I th- like bringing to kids to funerals these yeah. days is because very what happens taboo. is kids that get sheltered end up being adults that get sheltered. And I mean, we all know how many times have we had adults that have said, "Oh my God, I've you know I'm, I'm 40 years old. I've never seen a dead person. I don't want to go into the room, even though it's my you know my parent or my grandmother." It's mm-hmm. just it's a cultural thing. And and to me, and again, I'm certainly not a psychologist or even remotely close to knowing anything about it. But how does that make it more challenging for for children of not you know not only not experienced but not you know have not gone through the process of going to a service seeing a dead i mean it's, does that make it a little bit more i i think it makes it more difficult especially if we try to um respond to children and protect them from some of the natural things of life um instead of including them uh and discussing things with them um for families, like you mentioned, even uh, adults now that have never seen dead bodies because there was that kind of uh, shift and move in society that, that diminished the, that presence. But now um, there's a more awareness that kids can be uh, present and involved in services. Uh, and I believe that depending on how the parents uh, deal with grief themselves, that 
shows and demonstrates for the children and the adolescents even how they can respond to grief and they'll follow suit. Uh, so if a family is extremely broken up and emotional, uh, kids are going to be broken up and emotional. If the family is very uh, explanatory and uh, comfortable and just cognizant of the role of death in life, uh, then the kids will learn to do so as well. So are there warning signs if, if there's a, you're a parent or you're an older, you have younger siblings? Is there, again, not everyone's supposed to be sort of back of the, back of the envelope psychologist, but are there some signs that parents should be looking for if there's been a death in the family and say, hey, this is something that we may need to escalate just to, to talk to someone to get some sort of help? Yeah, and uh, there's some definite signs, and I would say the most telling and the person that's best able to identify what those signs are are the parents or the caregivers themselves mm -hmm. because they know the children, the adolescents, even the teens better than anyone. And when you see something deviate from that child's normative behavior, then that's a red flag. Uh, and when that goes off, then you it's important to um, address that in a way that helps the child express it, uh, not to be um, antagonistic or overly pushy towards it, but being inquisitive and helping the kids express themselves themselves to try and understand how they're feeling and why these bumps or burps of behavior mm -hmm. are coming out. It makes it, you know, we talk here helicopter parents and protected. I mean, we, everyone tries to protect even more so than, than maybe generations ago. And I think that, that adds a whole other level of, of challenge to, to try to get help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would say that the, the number one thing that a parent can do uh, to assist their child or adolescents or, or teenagers uh, process grief effectively is just what you expect when you go onto an airplane and they say, oh, in case of an emergency, you know, put the oxygen mask on yourself first and then tend to your child. Mm -hmm. uh, when parents and families encounter grief, it's important for the parents to deal with their own grief effectively first as they support their kids and help their kids to deal with that. Uh, because if they just focus on the kids, then... Uh, things start going wonkers in their life, and um, it, it confuses uh, the child and how they should be grieving themselves. That's a great analogy. But, uh, yeah, and then some, there's some classic children's stories. Um, there's some other uh, books that people might be familiar with, but they don't realize the inferences and the um, lessons that they can learn from, like, uh, uh, several years ago, the movie came out, Bridge to Terabithia, mm -hmm. uh, which is a great story about uh, children dealing with death and loss. Um, or My Girl. Um, so there's mm, some great classics that, mm -hmm. um, you know, are really helpful. Um, my daughter teaches uh, in an uh, elementary school, and they were going through uh, where the red fern grows, and uh, she got all broken up because it reminded her of the loss of a dog uh, several years ago. Um, and so there's lots of resources and things that you can use readily uh, to assist you just to open that discussion to help kids understand the, just the repercussions and the processes of grief. We appreciate all the insight, Chuck. We actually have some really good grief resources on our website for children. 
and those links are shown in our show notes of this episode. If our listeners have any questions about funerals or cremations in either New Hampshire and Vermont, I'm happy to answer them. Just send me an email at buddy at phaneuf.net. That's buddy at P-H-A-N-E-U-F.net. Or call me at 603-625-5778. Thank you again for joining us on Dying to Talk.